Genesis 8, let me help you get there. It's right after Genesis 7. So um, that should help you get there. In, read along with me if you would, please. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him on the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters then subsided. Now the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water decreased. And the ark rested in the seventh month and the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And on the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the mountaintops were seen. It came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took her and drew her into himself. And then he waited another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening. And behold, a freshly picked olive branch was in her mouth, and no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out well, the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And came to pass in the 601st year, in the first day of the first month. The waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And on the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried, and then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, they went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, Day and night shall not cease. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Fundamental to every bit of this. Now, let me kind of catch us up to speed of where we are because this text really, well, there's a bit of a, well, there's a bit of a, a an anomaly or an, an irony in all of this, at least as we look at it from the surface. And the hard part about the book of Genesis is really approaching it without prejudice. I mean, there are just so many guys out there with pipes and leather chairs and with six degrees to their name that speak in some form of affluent eloquence, that sort of ornament nothingness. And in all of that, we kind of think, well, I'll never really understand this book or any book unless some expert really reveal it to me. And yet that sounds so odd to a God who really wants to make himself basically known to every human being. And those parts don't reconcile to me. I don't get the idea of how God would want to let the simplest human being know who he is, and yet somehow we open 
open up the Bible and go, wow, I hope someone explains this to me someday. Now, I do recognize that God does give specific people the gift of teaching, and, but the idea shouldn't be that we get, you know, that the fundaments are something we couldn't get or the rudiments are something we only can ascribe to some person, but it somehow deepens what we already know. And, and in this text, I gotta, I, what I love is just getting alone with the text and just kind of it, you get on the mat and it gets me in a stranglehold and I'm almost about to tap and then I throw myself down and I feel like I'm Jacob all night going, why this? And, and, and I, I look and I go, okay, chapter 3, there was the fall of man and God told us from that point on there's going to be two groups of people. They're going to be those that are going to be under the governance of the enemy and they're going to be those that are going to be under the governance of the living God. And he shows us that, through, through, if you remember, through two lineages. In chapter 4, we see the lineage of mortality, Cain, his name. And we see it really riddled with two very clear distinctives. One is violence, as we saw with Cain killing and murdering his brother. And we also saw then as we traveled the lineage down to a guy named Lamech. And remember how Lamech actually he sings this song to his two wives about how he killed a guy because the guy wounded him. And, and, and uh, it's this pride and this arrogance and this lack of remorse and killing a human being and this disregard for human life. And we see this idea that violence is a real predominant aspect of those who are not under the governance of the living God. And, and understand there are people that want to take it in a million directions, but Jesus makes clear when he speaks. And John the Baptist, when he speaks, he's talking to religious leaders and calling them brood of vipers, which, by the way, is simply family of serpents. And that's a fundamental aspect. In 1 John, we see John say, we can see, we can see who the children of the devil are compared to the children of God. Now, in that he's not saying that there's some form of weird progenation among demons. What he's just telling us is there's two groups of people in the world and there will always be until this whole thing closes and there'll be those under the lineage of the living God, those who have submitted and I'm not in some form of weird God's gene pool. I've been adopted by the King of Kings the moment I said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ as you have if you've said yes. And from that point on I'm saying God be my Lord. Be more than just my Savior. Be my, be my Master. And there are those when we read, but when, when it comes to the Cain, those people who aren't calling on the living God, violence is a very predominant aspect of it. But there is another predominant aspect, and that is this complete disregard for marriage. And I find that interesting. I mean, to the point where bigamy becomes real fundamental. We see that, of course, with Lamech. And, and then we see in the next chapter, chapter 5, we see Seth's lineage. And we read all of a sudden, here's the other side of things, this different family. And we read this family's calling on the name of the Lord. And this side, we have people who are big in metallurgy and science and agriculture and in, and in the arts. And on this side, we just don't have any of that. And it seems like, wow, it seems like the people who aren't calling on the name of the Lord are really making some motion and being world changers. The problem is that that's all they have. I mean, they have a number one song and then they're on the VH1 where they now charts and they've written a book and there was one day it was a bestseller and the next day, who is this guy? And never got made into a movie. But over here in chapter 5, what we have is this lineage from, from Seth, Adam to Seth and down all the way through to Noah. But and you just see God saying, look at the biggest accomplishment this man has is something that's going to fade. The biggest accomplishment this person has are people. I mean, on this side, there's a complete disregard for people because they're too caught up in all the other stuff. And over here, well, my people that call on my name, what they made important were people. And with that, this is their legacy. Here's your legacy. Your legacy is a DVD someone can watch someday and go, wow, they really dressed weird 20 years ago. On this side, the legacy is human beings that call on the name of the Lord. Now, ultimately then, God sets this whole thing and he lays it before us and says, now what? You've got the group of people over here that are God's people. You have a group of people over here who have no interest in me or are not dwelling in my presence. Which one is going to win on the influence campaign? 
And if we were to put them on a boat and they were even amount of people, so that on this side were Seth's people and on this side were Cain's people, what we find then is that these guys who were governed by the living God saw the daughters of these men over here, and it says that they were beautiful and they were fine-looking women, so they decided to do what any guy would do. Go over to that camp, and all of a sudden the boat starts to rock like this. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 6, what you read is that all of the intent of the thoughts of the heart of men were continually evil all the time, and God says, it's done. I'm done with this because the influence has been lost. There is no longer any more of this God's people really pulling anyone into their camp. Everyone now is jumping into the camp. of the, And it tells us that the world is filled with violence. And those sons of God took for themselves all the wives they choose. So all of a sudden, this whole concept of where this side everything was, was about bigamy and it was about lust and it was about violence. And over here was about people calling on the name of the Lord. We don't read anyone calling on the name of the Lord anymore. What we read instead was we read that everybody's filled with violence and that everybody's all about getting jiggy with it. And all of a sudden, the whole world looks like this and God says, it's time to pull the plug. And by the way, interesting, throughout Scripture, when we get to the last days, God tells us it'll be just like the days of Noah. And understand, God disengaged the last days by how sinners are, how sinful sinners are. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that sinners are willing to sin. That's what they do. We shouldn't be surprised if dogs bark. Truth be told, the thing that should surprise us is the very thing that amazed Jesus was the lack of the faith among the people that were actually His. This is the problem is the reason the world gets so nasty is to be honest because the only people who are supposed to be the janitors of this planet are really no longer grabbing a broom and shovel anymore. Because God's people aren't willing to be holy. And so what you see by the end of chapter 6 is God says it's time to pull the plug. If my people are not going to effectively translate, transfer, or for that matter just even seek to transform this world around them, and what's left with this world? All we have is a world that's just getting more and more rotten. When you get to every intent of the thoughts of the heart where continually evil all the time, what do you have? There's no more expletive left to put in there. There's no more absolute. It's not like you could put anything else in there to add to make it worse. In other words, it is as bad as it's going to get. The entire lump is leavened. But we read in that, though, that God finds favor, or this one particular individual finds favor with God. Now, the word grace, for instance, then, is introduced in chapter 7. For the first time, we read the word grace, and it's with a man named Nuch. Now, would you say Nuch? Now, come on now, you guys, this is Hebrew, you can't say it quietly. Nuch. Thank you. Nuch means rest. And if you remember, as we went through those lineage and what they meant, we ended up with this term rest. Now, there is this challenge, then God says, my spirit will no longer strive. The word in the Hebrew is bin. Bin, by the way, means plead or beg. And I, I, it's weird to see the Holy Spirit begging people. And I wonder if who he's begging isn't necessarily even the lost first, but maybe his own. They're saying, please, will you stop trying to look like the world for a minute? Will you stop trying to just get everything the world has for you? And will you really be about the business I've called you to? To be salt and light. Well, it's not going to strive with man like this forever. His days are going to be 120 years. And however you want to argue with it, if we do it and we kind of take the math on it all, and we actually, and the cool thing is God has actually given us the years of how old Adam is and how that all plays out. And so if we were to take from Adam's birth and we take that and sort of say, take that week, give or take that week that God created everything, I can actually tell you that basically when God says, my spirit shall not strive with man anymore, but his days will be then 120 years. And if that were really 120 years until the time of the flood, that makes it 1536, 1,536 years since the day that Adam was created. Because God actually gives me that particular text. 6.3. 
And 6.14, he says, then we'll make an ark. And in that ark that I want you to basically, and this, of course, is going to be really strange. Water is going to fall from the sky. We've never had that before. Water has basically come up from the ground. And we read that, by the way, in chapter 2. And so that's what we've seen in the first seven verses of chapter 2. God had his own sprinkler system. But now something really strange is going to happen. Water is going to fall from the sky. Now, that's a little weird. Mom, actually, that's extremely weird. And all it is weird is because it's never happened before. So, of course, we compare that, if you remember last week, to James building a gigantic flower pot because dirt's going to fall from the sky because he's going to call every fruit tree in to repop the world and its fruit trees, of which then you can get the message if you like to, and I think it's called something like Obedience in the Silence and the Giant Flower Pot. So uh, with that, I might make this gigantic ark. I want you to make this huge boat in a place where there doesn't appear to be any water, and then we're going to do something weird. And what's weird about it is I want you to look at these texts with me, and again, try to read them without prejudice. If God were to say this to you, now listen to what he says and doesn't say in this text. Chapter 6, look at it with me, verse 13. God says to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. Notice, and he says, this is what's happened. Which again shows me Cain's influence. Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Did you get that? So, we're going to put, we'll pick on somebody else for a moment. We'll pick on Clive. Okay, poor Clive. He's just sort of sitting there. He's minding his own business. He's putting together a widget at work. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, Clive, I've got to tell you something. This world is messed up. And Clive's like, yeah, there's a newsflash. He says, no, no, really. Let me tell you. This is going to sound really weird, Clive, but the world is full of sex and violence. And you can see Clive going, yeah, yeah, I kind of got that. Pretty much, yeah. When the guy's like, I was just walking through Camden. I turned on the TV. I flipped on the radio. I opened up a newspaper. Whoa, second page, sex and violence. I turned in a page thinking, well, that's terrible. Guess what was on the next page? Sex and violence. And guys, look at the whole, this thing's saturated. So, so listen, the end of it all is before me. I'm going to wipe out the earth and everything that lives on it. Did you get that? You know what God didn't say in all that? Was what was, was going to be on the other side of that. All I saw was he's going to destroy. Are you with me on this? So I want you to build a boat. Build a boat, Clive. Verse 17, look at it with me. Behold, I myself are bringing floodwaters on the earth, so I know how he's going to destroy. To destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth is going to die. Did you get that? But I will establish my covenant with you, verse 18. You shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. Verse 19, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring into the ark, two of every kind you bring into the ark to keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. Because now it's that one week beforehand. After seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all the living things that I've made. Okay, so, Clive, here's the deal, buddy. I'm going to kill everything that's not in your boat. So get them in your boat. But here's the good news. I'm going to call the animals to you because it's not going to be real. I mean, good luck trying to get, I mean, trying to get a couple cats in the boat by yourself. So on the other side of it, don't worry about it. I'm going to make all that happen. And by the way, that's going to be kind of fun. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks this is going to be, well, this is unprecedented. This is really definitely strange. But there's something kind of cool about the idea that, man, 
Animals are going to show up two by two. Never saw that before. I mean, what happens when the first couple shows up, you know? It's like a couple of jaguars or something like, ooh, this is going to be cool. Now, everybody else in the world, again, God is calling Clive to do something so bizarre that everybody else in the world is talking about it. At first, it's his neighbors. That guy's just lost his mind. Man, that guy's building a giant boat. What is he thinking? And right because he tells us, water's going to fall down from the sky. <laughs> and, you know, as the boat gets a little bit bigger, then come the boots, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, get your t-shirt, the crack boat, the boat builder, get your t-shirt, and the, you know, and the little medallion that says, oh, I survived the great flood, ha, 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 you know, and oh, you know, and by the way, and then the guy next to him, buy your floaties, get your floaties here, right, you know, life jackets is for you, because Mr. Boat Boy over there is working with his boys building a boat, right? And then, of course, sooner or later, it becomes the news, and it's like, excuse me, so exactly what's happening, you know, so you're building a what again? <laughs> right? And, and, but now all of a sudden, as strange as it is, the entire world is watching. And then, of course, what happens? Then they make the documentaries, you know, what's like supersize my boat, you know, and, you know, oh, everyone wants to go see that, you know. I'm really excited about, you know, and then the movie, and then, of course, there's MTV going, there's a guy and I stand with Clive, you know, keep yourself alive, stand with Clive. And, and everybody sort of, and it becomes, he becomes sort of this legend among everyone, but with that, uh, the information gets around the world. If Clive had done, if Clive's like, I want you to build this tiny little boat, and I'm going to shrink everything, you include it, and stick it on the little boat, nobody's going to watch that. You're going to be like, hey, everybody, look at my little boat. You like it? People are like, I've got a bigger one in a bottle at my house, you know. You know but when you've got to do something, I mean, again, I'm not telling you be weird for weird's sake, but when God tells you to do something, and your excuse to him is, excuse me, but that's strange. Do you really think that God was unaware of that when he told you? They're like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that was going to be construed as weird, so let's just make you do ordinary things like all the other dead people in the morgue. You know, I mean, think about it. You're the only living one in the morgue. And in this, he's like, okay, so everyone in the whole world is knowing. And then the weeks, you're the one week before the whole thing closes. And God says, now, now it's time. Now listen, I'm going to wipe out everything from the face of the earth. If it's not in your boat, it dies. That's the bottom line. This is our only, listen, this is, listen, this is our only rescue vehicle. This is it. It's the only one. And weird as it is, no one's got to build it. It isn't like God's like, I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop out of the sky this gigantic boat and just get on in it. Because for his, I mean, the moment a giant boat falls from the sky, I'm like, yeah, it's good. Okay. I mean, that's, that doesn't happen every day. I'm going to get in because that's weird. But to think about however long it took, and we really don't even have a timestamp of when God told him to start that. All we know is somewhere down the line, he told him to build this gigantic boat and he does. But we don't read anywhere in there that God ever speaks to him until a week beforehand. So if God did tell him 120 years, that means his sons weren't born for 100 for 20 years before 20 years later. If he did tell him after his sons were born, somewhere in the middle of all that, he's got to build this boat, and everyone's going to ridicule him. Everyone's going to point and mock. Everyone's going to laugh and joke. And yet, in all of that, nowhere in all of it does God ever we have record of God ever saying, "Good job, nice job on the first level, all right? Nice job on that window, nice window, you know? Or, Ooh, hey, by the way, there's some good gopher wood over here. I just want you to let you know. I mean." I mean, he's got to obey in that silence. I mean, and where, when God calls you to do something really strange, do you, you go, you know what, God, unless you give me another sign at this point, really kind of, we're done. You know, basically what we got at this point is something that kind of looks a little bit like a taco, but 
And all I need is one more sign, Lord. But God knows that there are people who will obey without having to constantly get some, you know, the, you know those people. You ever watch relationships? And some of you are like this. You know this. Not you're like this, I hope, but you know someone where one of the one of the people in the relationship is so insecure that they're always drawing a line and going, if you love me, you'll step past that. And what happens is, is the moment that happens, you know what happens when you step past it if you're in that. They draw another line. And go, well, okay, today you love me by doing that, but tomorrow this is the line. And then the next day this is the line. And God doesn't want us to be like that with him. And he's like, look, and, and Jesus, you know, and you can see even the frustration in Jesus' voice when he goes, unless you guys see signs, you're just not going to believe, are you? I mean, this thing has to be a dog and pony show for you to constantly be walking with me. And you can get in that kind of relationship. It's like, God, unless I feel you, I get the tinglys and I sweat angel feathers. And unless, you know, I hear, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, unless, you know, like, you know, Handel's Messiah comes out of my belly button, I'm really not going to follow you today. And then somewhere in all of that, God's like, do I really have to have this kind of relationship with you? But then he looks and he goes, but you know what? I found one guy. And like, think about this. He didn't even say he found one guy and three kids because when he found Noah, he didn't have his kids yet. It was 120 years before this. Noah will actually have those kids 100 years before the flood. So that's 20 years before that. He just goes, look, at, I looked over the whole earth. I just found one guy. But that was enough. That was enough to start over. It was, was just one guy. I didn't need an army. I didn't need a lot. I just one guy, and by the way, his wife. And we don't read anywhere. We don't have any conversation, any word written in the script about his wife. We know he's married. We know he has one. But we don't read her saying anything. Does she, does she join in with the crowd? And she goes, you know what? You are a lunatic. I'm not making you another meal until you stop building this boat. Or, you know what? Oh, there he goes again, getting some more gopher wood. You know? Or did she follow along with it? We really don't even know. God is as if that's not the key. But what the strange thing is that 120 years is wrapped up in a... We flip to the next chapter and it's like the next verse. That's kind of strange to me that all of that time, God doesn't develop. I mean, and I guarantee you, for Noah, that had to be the longest years of his life until he got on the boat. And, and you know, it's like, when you think about it, it's like, look, at this is a long period of time that God doesn't even record. And it's like, you know... There's no, there's no special moments that we... Now, who knows? Maybe it was that every night Noah sat down and God brought birds to sing, you're doing a good job, or whatever, or, you know, I, we don't know whether it's in the sky and he moves the stars around to say, keep it going, attaboy. We don't read anything. We just know for that whole period of time, God doesn't give us anything. And yet then we get to this chapter and he gives us like the minutiae of details. Have you noticed that? It's like, okay, well, now he's in the boat and God's like, well, the water's receded and then the water's receded and then the water's receded and then the ground was dry. And then the ground was dry and then the ground was dry and I'm like what happened how did it all of a sudden God get obsessive compulsive in this chapter and in the last chapter he was like I, well 120 years whatever you know and what am I missing you know and there's a couple things I want you to see and because I want you to know this part of this is my journey in my walk with the Lord first of all it's fundamental that in chapter 7, God didn't say, go into the ark. He said, come. Did you notice that? And again, remember, the word is bo. Now, bo is very different from the word yatsa. Yatsa, by the way, means go. Yatsa. You'll hear that today. Parents say, yatsa, go. Usually with a parent that's really fed up with their children. Get out of the house. But he doesn't say go. He says, come. Which tells me where God is. God's in the ark. And so it's just so amazing to think that no, the first person in the ark was not Noah. 
first person in the ark was God. Because if this is going to be your rescue vehicle, you are not getting into a rescue vehicle without the rescuer being there. And so my rescue vehicle starts with God. And God's in the boat. And here he is. And he's in the boat. Hopefully this won't even on me. And he goes, All right, Noah, come. Come on. You and your wife. Because nothing else, hear me, nothing else is getting into the boat until you do. Nothing else is getting in the boat until you do. Nothing. Not even a rambunctious cat. Not even a spazzy dog. Not even a fast fox or a leopard. Nothing's going get to in, get in that boat until you do. And as a parent, that's a big deal. As a pastor, that's a big deal. Because I can't expect you to go to any boat that I'm not in. I can't go go and I'm not there. No, not because I'm not the Lord or because I'm the Lord, but because rather, I just recognize as a father-type figure, I mean, that's what God calls us is this. Not to lord over your faith, but to be an example. i got to get in there first. And I watch people. It's like the dad drops off the kid and he wants the kid to really walk with the Lord, but he has no interest in following. He's not in the ark and he wants the kid in. He's like, why would I go in there, dad? You're not in there. Get in there. Come in. Come in. God's like, come on. Come on, no. And take your wife. Take your kids. They will follow you. But you've got to take it. You've got to take that step. I want you to take that step. I'm not asking your wife to get you in the boat. Which, by the way, we can all agree in some cultures, especially in the Middle East, that can be quite effective. I already talked to your wife. She will get you in the boat by tonight. <laughs> no, actually, she says, look, it, I'm requiring you, sir. You. Get in the boat. Your wife will follow. Your kids will follow. You get in the boat. Get in the boat. And then everything else will follow you. Because if you don't get in the boat, listen, listen, listen. If you don't get in the boat, everything dies. Nothing's going to make it if you don't get in the boat. So he gets in the boat with his wife, his kids, and then the animals come. Two by two, ostriches, kangaroos, wallabies, aardvarks, all kinds of fun and freaky things, platypi, you know, whatever. Uh, you know? And... We'll assume that they existed back then. And, which is important. And listen, if this boat's really going to land in Turkey, and I actually have some video footage and all kinds of satellite stuff. God willing, we'll show it next week. I just knew that I have a lot to share today. That's new. Um, that, uh, that means that if anyone were to ever ask you, were wallabies ever in Turkey? If every animal was on this boat that exists today in some form or another, and the boat landed in Turkey, then every animal was in Turkey. Does that make sense? There were kangaroos in Turkey. There you go. Are they there today? Not that I'm aware of, but they were there then. How did God move them? It's not my job to figure that out. I was like, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, how did they wind up in Africa? I don't know. They got a one-way ticket. All I know is... God didn't mention it because obviously, I mean, the book's already thick enough. Imagine if he gave us details that were just dumb details. By the way, this is the way, you know, I decided to multipolar ice cap. And I said, all right, everyone, hop on this glacier. We're going to surf our way. We just don't get it. Okay, now listen, salvation. Faith. i got to trust God that this weird command he gives me. Obedience. I have enough faith. Listen, hear me on this. Faith. And James is going to make that really clear. James says there's two different kinds of faith in the world. Well, one's really not faith at all. But the real kind of belief is a belief that does something. In other words, it's not faith plus works, it's the faith that works, is the idea. It's going to breed some kind of action. And because there are a lot of people like, I believe in God, but it hasn't inspired you to do nothing. I'm like, I don't, James would say, I don't believe in your belief. But a real belief makes you do something. Abraham believed God. 
He trusted God and, uh, and, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham did something. Noah had faith in God and that faith, by the way, moved him then to build the boat God called him to. He was in obedience and in that obedience, he had to come to God. Real salvation requires me to come to God. And there he... And there you go. Bell time. We'll, keep, we'll cover the rest after recess. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No. But here becomes, here becomes the key, beloved. And hear me out. Um, that's probably my daughter probably pushing a button somewhere. Um, please hear me. Salvation is more than escaping wrath. Because if salvation were just escaping wrath, God's going to punish the world and He didn't punish you instead. This is how the story would go. Clive, get in the boat, bring all the animals with you and your family, and then when you get in the boat, we'll populate the boat, and then sooner or later, you'll die on the boat. Doesn't sound very cool, does it? But isn't that how we live our Christian life? God says, come to the cross, that's my rescue vehicle. Jesus died there for my sins, he paid for all of my guilt, and because he did, I'm going to come to the cross, I'm going to lay my life down at the cross, and then just, that's the end of it. That's not the beginning of anything else, it's just the end of it. Now, if we baptize people like that, think about what that would be like. That means that the old man has been crucified with Christ, but there's no new man on the other side of it. So what, what baptism would look like is we take the person down, and we'd leave him there. All right, you know, okay, the old person's being buried. And the old man's dead, as is this guy. And you realize that's what it would look like. But that's, isn't that what Christianity is? And by the way, isn't that what it looks like to the sight of everybody else? What they see is, you know, the cross is the place of sacrifice. And it is. It's the place where things get laid down. It's the things that get nailed there. And, but the thing is, they don't see the empty, cross, the empty tomb because the empty tomb says there's a brand new life on the other side of that. On the other side of the cross is a new life. So what happens is, I don't want to give my life to Jesus because I have to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. I have to stop doing drugs. I have to stop going out and buying drugs with my friends. I got to stop doing all this stuff, robbing people for their watches and cell phones. I mean, you know, that's as cool as the world knows. I'm amassing this stuff. I've got blue neon underneath my car. I'm cool. I'm young, good looking, I can smolder. Things are happening. You know? Because what they look at is they, you know, we go, hey, look at, here's the cross. Leave all that there. And of course, if we were, if, if they were honest with us and they could articulate, what they'd say was, for what? So you can escape the wrath. Well, okay, that's true. Okay, so okay, so so let me see if I have this right. I'm gonna trade and not sleep with my girlfriend, so I don't have to go to hell. Well, if it's about hell, I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna die for the next forty years. Pretty confident, and I'm willing to bank on that. So I'm gonna sleep with my girlfriend for the next thirty-nine years, and then maybe I'll get right at the end of that. If that's all there is, wouldn't that make sense? I mean, let's just be honest. Wouldn't that make sense? Then we get to this chapter and something really strange happens. I mean, again, the text, all the text we read was about God taking care of the old, but it didn't say anything about the new. This chapter takes us into the new. You see, what God said ultimately was, is we're going to start over. I've got a whole new world for you. I have a whole new world, right? And, you know, which scares me. When I hear that song, it almost sounds like Satan's theme song. I can show you the world, you know? Thinking, sounds like the temptation of Jesus. Sorry if I really ruined your Disney experience. But, 
Follow me in this for a second, because as I read through this, God takes this really careful approach to give us all of these details. And if I could just be honest with you in my own walk, God really made very clear to me, to me, and this doesn't have to pertain to you, although I assume it will. I assume it will that with every one of these particular stages, it shows me this area that we call sanctification. And hear me out what that means. If you read in the New Testament, you're going to find something interesting when you read the word saved. You're going to find that it says you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. I think, well, which one is it? And you're like, well, to be honest, it's all three. If I can put it plainly, if you've said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross, and if you haven't, I'm going to give you that choice today because it would be foolish for me not to. If you said yes to the gift of Jesus Christ, all of your guilt was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ and you've accepted that payment on your behalf. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. Does that make sense? And that penalty means you're allowed to stand before God innocent. That's a really awesome thing. The moment I said yes to Jesus, if I were to die at that moment, boom, we're good. But as I walk with Christ right now, I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's the am being saved. I mean, I... I came to Christ at 19. I was a 19-year-old sinner. I had a master's degree in sinning. Now, I mean, and that's not something I'm proud of. I was really good at being really bad. But I find throughout all the Scripture, God constantly shows us, here I am going to get you out of its penalty, and now I'm going to start delivering you from its power, getting Israel out of Egypt, and then walking them through the wilderness. What do you think that is? It's a 40-year death march. Well, what's dying? The old man's dying, so the new man gets to go in. Do you get that? But then, one day I will be saved from the presence of sin. There will be a day when we read, according to Isaiah, that, that, that even the old will not even come to mind. I won't even know that sin ever existed. God's going to wipe that part so clean for me. I'll never, the enemy will not be able to bring up my past because I won't have it anymore for him to flaunt. I can't wait for that day. And I think, now that's something to look forward to. But in the middle of that, that's that am being saved part. Being saved from sin's power. And what's interesting is, is if I recognize, all right, Lord, I said yes to you. I am saved from its penalty. I am right with you as a standing. But now I want to be right in my behavior to this world around me. If I have that heart, then I'm like, I'm frustrated with myself. Are you? Because I want to be perfect. I'm like, why can't I live as perfectly as I am in your sight? Because I'm finding a hard time reconciling my behavior with a God who sees me perfectly when I'm very clearly not perfect in the way that I behave. And then God shows me this chapter. And to be honest, I find really great encouragement in this chapter. So I better walk you through, now that we've given you, a, you know, more than half the time introducing us to it. Look at it with me. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then God remembered Noah. Now that's a little bit of a strange statement, isn't it? Is if somehow God was, was he snoozing? Was it like God's like, oh yeah, <laughs> Noah, what are you doing here? Well, wait a minute. The word for what it's worth is zakar. Can you say zakar? Zakar means to mark. Easiest answer for that, by the way, is in regards to Camden. Because everyone, lots of people get marked there. They, get, they pay lots of money and they get marked on their arms and on their hips and on their thighs and on their ankles. And they get tattooed. But the idea is often, often, when, you, when by the way, it's always a ministry tool for me when I see somebody with a tat. Because, well, because there's so many of them out there. But I'll ask, why'd you get that? What does that mean? Now, some people will be like, it, it was cool. You know, I don't know. <laughs> 
I was like, I just made, made me feel tough, you know. But every once in a while, about maybe a fourth of the time, someone will say, I lost my little brother. And this reminds me of that. It's a horrible divorce. Well, this is what it is. Or, oh yeah, Betty, um, it's, my first, it's my first girlfriend. I'm too chicken to actually get that laser burned off. You know, but whatever it is. But what's cool, it's a really cool opportunity to say, hey, this, was, this was something that apparently was so profound for you that it got marked. And that's the word that's used here in regards to God. Remember, no, this was not God was... Now, first of all, where is God at this moment? You can answer. This is actually the response of time. Where is God at this moment? He's in the ark. So this isn't like God's up in heaven running a lots of other stuff and checking out the water everywhere and going, surf's good over here. And then he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Noah, what are you doing? God is in the ark with Noah. And this is, this is what makes this so radical to me. Because what this means is that somewhere down the line, here's God sitting with Noah, enjoying each other. And then he's like, you know what, though? We have a new world to take care of. We have a new world to change. And I'd love it just to be this. But we've got a world to touch. And let's get on it. And I do love, it's like, I, when I first came to Christ, do you have that time? It's like, you could call it the honeymoon period. The only problem I have with that is, this doesn't have to change. Just because we're going to go out of the ark now and do things, the cool thing is we're going to do it together. And I just think of what it's like with a son, with his father, and the way that God intended is that the kid grows, the boy grows with his dad, and he respects his dad, and he loves his dad, and he's like, Dad, I want to be that. I don't want to. How do you do that? And you know, it gets to that point where he has that bar mitzvah, and he's like, now he's dedicated, he's a son of the commandments, and then he's like, let me show you the trade, son. And you know, and this is how we make our widget, and this is how we build our thing. And he's like, that's my boy. Look at how he's, he's doing it better than I am. And it's like, I want, I want to be like you, Dad. How great that is. It's like, now, when we get out there and do that, we're going to do it together. It doesn't have to change. So it doesn't have to be like, okay, this is the end of the honeymoon period, get out there and get to work. It's the opposite, because this is a different world than the sick world we're in right now that is very much more Cain-influenced than it is Seth-influenced. But God is in the ark with them, and they're just hanging out, and he's like, now, I have this mark in my heart that we have more to do than this. I'd love it just to be this. And, if, and this, by the way, is why I can't be a monk. If I were a monk, I'd be on... Uh, what a monk is, is somebody got on the ark and stayed there. Does that make sense? And I'm not, I don't want to pick on those guys, because at least I'll be... I think we should respect their devotion. Hey, man, you know, uh, shaving their head and all that stuff? Oh, I don't have to worry about it. It'll happen without it. Sooner with me. But, um, you know, living in a cave and all that, not really into it. Vow of silence? I've, I've, I've wanted that for moments in my household, but I can't see myself doing it. But God's like, okay, now look at it. Now that we've established this, now that this is clear, but let me ask you, have you had your ark time? I mean, where you realize what this whole salvation thing's about? Because the salvation thing doesn't start with the idea that God's like, now here's a bunch of rules, and if you do all of these, I'll give you a floaty. The idea is that, look it, I want you coming in here where I am. That's what this is. This is your rescue vehicle. On this piece of wood, we're going to meet. And on this piece of wood, I'm going to deliver you from the wrath. And so, are you coming? Are you, are you in? Are you in on this? All right, I'm, I'm in. Lord, okay, I'm in. Well, that's your act of obedience. You're in. Now we're together. Now that we're together and we're going to establish this, let's start changing the world, shall we? I'm not looking for somebody with fantastic giftings. I'm looking for somebody with strange obedience. Because strange enough, there's a lot more talented people in the world than they're obedient. So, here we go. Ready? 
And I'll do this quickly because, to be honest, I would love to develop this, but let me just do it this way. I really believe the Lord's impressed upon my heart. If I lay this out simply, I'm going to ask for you to go and wrestle with it this week. How does this play out in my life then? Because if it's the, because if I just gave it to you, then maybe what's happening is I'm microwaving your food and I'm cutting up your vegetables for you. And I, I'd really rather I lay it all out before you and say, you know what, we're going to have, we're going to lay out all this stuff and I'm going to prep cook it. And then I'm going to ask for you to take your pan and fill this stuff up and make your meal. Look at it with me. First, verse 2. So first of all, verse 1 again, God remembered, he marked them. And then it says, and all the animals that were with him, he remembered all this. And so verse 1, notice it says, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the earth and the water subsided. And the idea now is, it's, the word is for what it's with, is shechad, that means to make, to cease. But what I find interesting is how God did it. He could have just, you know, think about it. God could have went, and he could have pulled a little plug from the earth, and everything drained, but he didn't. Instead, he made a wind. And I find that interesting, because the word wind is the word ruach. Could you say, ruach? Beautiful. Ruach means wind, breath, spirit. It is the word used for God's spirit. It is the word that's used for wind. It is the word for breath. Now, that's interesting, because every time God's going to say His Holy Spirit, Ruach Hadosh, it's the word Ruach. And I just find it interesting that the way that this new world begins is that this wind starts to blow. I think there's something really pertinent about that. If I'm going to look at a new life, not just the death at the cross, but the empty tomb life on the other side, it starts with a wind blowing. It starts with the Spirit starting to move in my life. I mean, not just this. What I want to do is sort of send light out of my fingertips. I just know what God says is you're not even going to be able to get out to the new one, to the new world, until the, until the judgment that you know in your own life is subsiding. And the way that's going to happen is my wind needs to blow upon you. I think, man, have I asked that lately? Well, I did before we started this, didn't I? Lord, lay your Holy Spirit upon me. Immerse me that I would be completely transparent. Because without that, you're going to see a lot of me and we're all going to be bored stiff. And, 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 or laugh and have nothing as a result of it. But it's like, God, what about that? What about your Spirit in my life? I mean, your Holy Spirit. I mean, not just touchy-feely, tingly, but what about like the fruit of your Spirit? And the manifestation of your spirit is love, which would be, the, by the way, the one thing he says that should be the one thing everyone should have for each other that believes in Jesus. Because that's the one thing people will look and go, oh, that's weird. Okay, so the spirit moves, or the wind blows, or however you want to play that. That's how this starts. Verse 3, then, or verse 2, it says, Then the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Which means, again, then all of that stops. No more rain, no more the ground filling up with water. And this is in verse 3, that the waters receded, and I love this word, continually. The second thing I start to see is that that sign of the curse around me starts to drop. Now, it doesn't say, God went, and all the water was gone. And that's the way I want my, my walk. How about you? The idea is quite simple. What happens is I want to say, yes, Lord, and God says, woof. and now I'm like, man, never sinning again. Totally all my ambitions and intentions are right and true. But God's like, you know what? You're going to watch the water do this. And to be honest, you're not even going to see it at first. The water's just going to... But it, notice the word continually. And I love the way he puts this in the Hebrew. And again, forgive me if this is a little bit, you know, well, or whatever. But the, the, it says here, verse the water's receded continually. And the term for receded continually, for the, way, the word receded means is shub. Could you say shub? Shub, like shooby do. Now, the word, the idea of that's to turn back. It's the word often used for repent. The idea of it's reversing. Now, that thing, listen, that thing is starting to reverse. 
all of the damage, all of the sin, all of the curse is starting to reverse. God flipped it. Now we're like, okay, now we're changing it. But the word for continually is the word that just kind of jazzes my groovy. Because the word is chaser. Could you say chaser? So now, chaser shub. Chaser shub. Chaser shub. Now listen. Chaser means to walk. This is the word. Remember, every Hebrew word comes from a verb, and the word means to walk. Now get these two words together. God flipping this thing, and it's lessening by walking. And that's the term he uses here. First of all, he stopped the judgment, and it's starting to drop now. It's starting to actually move away. But as it's starting to move away, it's starting to, as it puts it here, in the simplest sense, if I were the truest to the text, I would say, it's starting to walk away. And I think... Wow, and it's funny because God didn't call my relationship with Him a crawl or a roll, but He called it a walk. And I can't help but think of what He said to Joshua when they actually, remember, it's like, get you out of Egypt, let the old man die, let's get you into the promised land. And I start to think, that's what He's walking with here. But what He said to Joshua was, every place you set the sole of your foot, I'm going to give you. Now, think about what that is to you. If you have any initiative in you, I'm putting on my trainers. But what's amazing is that the vast, vast majority of Israel doesn't even show up at roll call. Which, by the way, as far as I'm concerned, I would think, right on, more land for me. You know, it's like he's like, and, I mean, he wouldn't have had to tell me twice. But I'm that kind of guy. I'm a bit spazzy. You know, there's some people God has to say go to. Some God has to say no to. I'm one of those no people. You're probably aware of that. God, like, open up a door of a house. I will see all of the floors, all of the rooms before God says, let's take a look. Where'd, where'd you go? You know what I mean? That's kind of what I... When God says, look, I'm going to give you some land. I'm like, all right, let's go. And the reason is because I want it. You know, I want this. And God wants... I really believe God wants our hearts to be like that. But He's looking at you. Look at The bottom line is the, the curse is dropping as you walk. It's walking away. And I really believe the more we walk, the more it's going to lessen. And he's like, oh, wait a minute, that makes sense to me. By the way, consecrate for what it's worth is sanctification. Just means setting you apart. To set you apart from what? From the entire world that's being destroyed around us. So, so here we go. It starts with this wind that begins to blow. And as the wind begins to blow, the curse starts to walk away. It doesn't flip away. It just starts to walk away. And I go, okay, wait a minute. Okay. I'm getting it. And then it says in verse 4, it says, Then the ark rested in the seventh month and the seventeenth day of the month in the mountains of Ararat. And I'm like, wait a minute. Then the, third, then the next thing is, rest. All of a sudden the ark rested. No, the water isn't fully decreased yet. It's starting to decrease. But before I can even recognize that, I mean, let me ask you, if you're floating and there's nothing seen at all but water, and the water starts to decrease, how do you know it? I mean, they're like, wow, we were down another inch. I took a sounding today. I mean, you really don't know it, do you? What's funny is the first thing you seem to notice was that the ark stopped moving. I mean, because there's a thing called a keel. Do you know what a keel is? That's the part that hangs underneath the boat. I should say the part that's in the water, under the water. Even keel is the idea that that thing's strong enough so the boat doesn't flip. And, and the idea of it, I mean, coming from a fishing town, it's like, what's your keel? Because if your keel's too deep and you're in a narrow area, it's going to get stuck. And I realized that somewhere down the line, his keel just got caught on the mountains of Ararat. So here we are. I'm not seeing the water drop. No, here's the... Here, listen, listen, listen to this. I'm not seeing the water drop. I'm not seeing the curse leave me like that. I'm not watching the judgment drop in my life. I can't see that. But all of a sudden, it's like... 
this strange feeling of not going anywhere now. We're actually resting. I'm moving. Wow. Hey, do you remember? No, maybe I'm the only one in the room. You can decide for yourself. But am I the only one that felt like I constantly had to run somewhere because I was so restless and discontent and empty that I just was so busy chasing after everything that I didn't know what it was like to rest until the Lord gave it to me? Somewhere down the line when I said yes to Jesus, even after that, I still feel like i got to win, i got to get it, i got to accomplish, i got to achieve, i got to fight, i got to strive. And, you know, I'm, I'd be quick to grab those, those verses. And all of a sudden, they're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rest with me. Stop. Because do you remember what it was like in the ark? This is what it was like in the ark, wasn't it? And now we're going to recognize the whole boat's going to stop. Because I can't get you off the boat if it's still moving. That's dangerous. But it is a sign that the water's dropping. So rest. Okay, so wait a minute. Okay, so the wind blows, the water stops, it starts to recede, and then rest begins. Again, verse 5, then the water decreases continually. There's the idea again of the water decreasing continually. It says, in the tenth month, on the t- on tenth month, on the first day of the month, notice verse 5, the mountains were seen. Do you know what that means? It is my first visible, listen, listen, it is my first visible clue that the water's dropping. I can't really see it before that. But now I'm like, that looks like a little rock. I mean, would I piece that that's a mountain? I mean, it's funny, it's that mountain that I couldn't move. Now it probably came from New Zealand or something. And it kind of came over because, you know, this is lots of water. It can move anything. And, and now I'm like, whoa, okay, look at this. And all of a sudden I'm like, we stopped. But, it, but I had to stop long enough for me to start getting some from a frame of reference. And all of a sudden, and God says, okay, now stop. Stop for a second. Just stop. No. Wait. Look with me. Look with me. Look with me. Do you see anything yet? Do you see anything yet? And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. There's something there floating in the water. He's like, actually, it's not floating. The water's dropping. I go, wow, wait a minute. I'm seeing the first hints of the new land. But the wind is already blown. And by the way, it appears to be continually blowing through all of this. It doesn't say the guy didn't go, and that was it. Because the water continued to recede. And part of the way that the wind recede, or the water receded was that the wind continued to blow. So through all of this, I'm feeling this wind. I'm seeing this wind happen. And as this wind, this breath, this spirit is happening, this, 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 it stops. The rain had stopped. And it started to drop. And then I'm resting. And now I'm starting to recognize there's something new out there. Then, verse 6, it came to pass after 40 days. I'm going to actually start seeing it for myself. So I'm going to send out a couple of birds. Why birds? Why would you let a cat? It's not going to go out there. It's water. Cats aren't going to go out in the water. So, but it's interesting. Think about the, the animals he used. He used two different birds. He used a raven and he used a dove. What do ravens eat? Old flesh. That's what they eat. Okay. Yum. What do doves eat? They eat seed. So he sent out a raven, and notice this with me. In verse 7, he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Which means, by the way, it had no allegiance to, to Noah. All of its allegiance was to the ark. It would go to and fro the ark, but it wouldn't go to and fro Noah. Notice the difference between that and verse 8. He sent out from himself, that's Noah, a dove. And it says that he went around sought to play a resting place, couldn't find one, and says, notice in verse 9, so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into himself. 
Now, the dove was alleged to Noah. And so, okay, so here's the idea. I send out this old thing that, by the way, tell me if there's still hints of the old flesh out there. And this thing goes, it's a buffet! You know? And it kind of goes up, hops on the rescue vehicle, off it goes, picks at some of the old flesh, comes back over, out it goes, picks at some of the old flesh. It's not alleged to Noah, it's alleged to the rescue vehicle. Now, on the other side of that, but Noah's like, that's not enough for me. I don't want to get out there and see old flesh. Do you want to get out there? Is that what the new world looks like to you, is the old flesh? Like, I'm not getting out until actually what I see is something that looks like new life, not old flesh. Old flesh is the raven, new life is the dove. And notice the new life of the dove, interestingly enough, three things are happening. First time it goes out, finds nothing, comes back. You're like, okay, I don't see symbols in the new, the new world yet. I mean, I know that there's mountaintops, so I know there's going to be some... It's enough hope for me. It's enough hope for me to go, okay, it's going to be there. And each day I'm kind of looking, going, you know, I'm talking to one of my sons. I'm going, hey, it looks like there's more today than yesterday, isn't it? I, I think I see more of that mountaintop, or I see more of that rock. Each day a little bit more, each day a little bit more, each day a little bit more. And I'm seeing it, and I'm like, okay, well, let's go check. And then I send out the raven, and the raven comes back, and it's got like an arm hanging from its beak. I'm like, eh, that's disgusting. All right, well, good, you can get off the ark anytime you want. You know? But then the dove kind of comes back, and he's like, no, I'm not saying they speak. That's what I get for being raised in animation, right? But it kind of comes back and goes, no place for me yet. And then for the first time, nothing. So he goes, all right, come on back in. It's a she, sweet. Come on, sweetie, my little turtle dove. And in she goes. And then the second time, and again, he opens up the ark, the window the second time, and he sends her out, and she comes back with an olive branch. Why is that so important? Well, I don't know if you know this about olive trees, but olive trees can grow under water. It's brilliant how God invented this. And one of the reasons is because olive trees are covered in oil. Because they're covered in oil, water is no great. It somehow can actually siphon the oxygen. It's a brilliant thing. Which What that tells me is, even though the water hasn't fully receded, there's life under there. But what happens is, when you see a leaf, that means somewhere down the line, there's got to be new life in this. Even though that, and, and we don't know whether it's dripping or whether it's not, but it's like that that bird, that bird comes back. And of course, we see the symbol of peace and all of that, and dove being a symbol of the Holy Spirit, of course, as we sort of see now that it goes more than just an obsequient wind, something that sort of you really can't put a name or a character to. Now we put it as a character, and this character is going out there and showing me hints of new life. But the third time that, you know, I kind of, I'm like, okay, it's not going to, but a leaf just says, look, it, it's not really fully there yet, but it's moving that way. But then the third time, that dove goes on, and there's no reason for it to come back because there's enough seed on that new land now for it to live. And what he's saying is, look, at, there is, there's new life on there. There's a new world now, a whole new world I want you to step out on. Now remember, this all started with God kind of staring in the eyes of Noah, no staring in the eyes of God per se, and, going, and God's like, you know, but we've got, we've got a world to change. And so I want to keep this, but though I want to keep this, we've got a world to change, and so let's get out there. But let's do it in so look at, Let's get that water down. Let's start showing that I'm going to change your life and make you different. And there's, I'm not going to change you by the old person. I'm going to change you by a new person. But first of all, you really need to recognize that old flesh is dead. And that raven will testify. That old flesh is dead, but that's not part of the new life. That's the part of the judgment. The cross is the old flesh is dead. The old the empty tomb says there's a new world to walk on. And on that new world to walk on, that dove says, hey, there's all kinds of new life out there, enough for me to stay. 
So that moves us to our last part of all of this ultimately. So now, because then it gets to this whole point. It's like, look, he waits seven days, and then, okay, and then the dove doesn't come back after the second time, after two weeks of all of this kind of give and take. And then it's like, and then the ground's dry. And notice in verse 13, it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, Happy New Year, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah remained in the covering of the ark. He removed the, the covering, and he basically has to open up the door, and as he opens the door, he's got to get out there, and he's like... Yeah, it's dry. And then he gets back in the ark and he just... Now, why? Because even when the new world is in front of you, it doesn't mean you're going to go out in it. Have you noticed that? And this is really sad. But I watch a lot of people, they even see the new life in front of them. I mean, a new life that is so absent of that death and absent of that influence and yet they're still sitting in their ark. First day of the first month the first you know, of the 601st year. Happy New Year. Let's celebrate it in the ark. And it takes the second month on the 27th day. That's a month and 26 days before God says, Go! Let's go! Let's go! And you're like, huh, 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 what? He's like, it, because is, let me, if this doesn't make any sense to you, it's the part where God actually has to say, no, listen, Landon. That's your land. Listen, Angela. That's where I have you. Lauren, I, I, this was good. This is good, but we've got a whole world to make look like you. Like what we did. Like how we're together. But I need you. Let's go. Let's go out there. You, no, really, I'm, I'm giving this to you. And because Noah is obedient, he doesn't go out there until God tells him. And I have all this one month, 40 days, two weeks, a week here and a week there, and on the 10th day of all that. So, you know, then, so and then we'll get to this last point and we'll bring this to close. But let me just do this. If I was using today's calendar, our, you know, our 365, the way the months are, let me sort of play it out how this looks, Okay. In 1536, God says, somewhere in that year, my spirit will not strive with man. It'll be 120 years. That's if I'm going to take the 120 years to mean that it ends with the flood. By 614, he says, make an ark. 1656, on the 10th of February, God says, one more week and it's over. So on the 17th of February, the flood comes. For 40 days, then it's going to flood, which means until the 29th of March. So from 17th of February to the 29th of March, it's just rainy. Which, by the way, doesn't surprise any of us. We live in London. Now... And it's like, wow, it's a sunny day. Sunny day. It's been sunny for two minutes. That's a sunny day here. So, um, but then it says that the water prevailed for 150 days. Now you have to ask, do I add 150 days to that 40 days or not? What's interesting is if I took the water prevailing from that first of 40 days, it ends up on the 17th of July. Interesting is the next mark is on the seventh month on the 17th day, which is the 17th of July that the ark rested. So the water prevailed for 150 days. And then on the 17th of July, the ark stops funny how those two were, those two days are exactly the same. So, let's do this again. 17th of February, flood comes. 17th of July, the ark rests. But it doesn't take until the, the listen, listen, the 1st of October before I see any mountaintops. And that's a lot of time. That's the rest of July, August, September, and then all of a sudden, well, okay, the 1st of October, I'm seeing the mountaintops. 10th of November now, I send out a raven and a dove. 17th of November, I send out a dove again. 
comes back with an olive branch. 24th of November, I send out a dove. He doesn't come back. 1st of January, the waters are dry. He tells me, Happy New Year. So I remove the covering. I go out and the ground's dry. 27th of February. Remember, this whole thing started on the 17th of February. Now, a year and 10 days later, 27th of February. God says, let's go. So I go out there and what happens? What is the end result of me actually following the Lord in all of this? This is where we close it. Look at what it says in verse 20. So Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. This ends with worship. I mean, at the end of this, it doesn't end with me going out and working. It ends with worship. But then I have to ask myself, if he's going to burn stuff, he's going to need fuel. Where does he get fuel to burn for the sacrifice? It has to be the ark. It's the only thing that he has that burns. Everything else is, well, is dry, but this is it. And I think there's something really strange. He's up on a mountain. Remember that? All the animals. And this 601-year-old guy has to walk down the mountain with all these animals to start this whole thing all over again. What a fantastic thing. You go, well, Bush and got to put it on a low ground somewhere. The guy's 601. Well, you know, or 701. And you go, well, how is this all playing out? And you realize, well, he's going to live. Don't worry. He's 601. He's going to live till 950. So he's got some years to go. But I realize if God did that, then people won't worship the boat because the boat's a little hard to find. Still up there, by the way, and I can show you footage next week. But I start to think about something in all of this. A burnt offering, a sacrifice of a burnt offering is an offering of consecration and devotion. This is my way of saying, look at I am yours. That's what a burnt offering is. It's complete and absolute surrender, which, by the way, God intended for the nation of Israel to have every morning and every night. Hear me. Every morning, it's like, look at brand new day. I'm yours. Absolutely. The end of the day, God, what a day. I'm yours. And Noah, without being told, we read here, he's been now he looks and he sees this new world and he goes, You know how I want to start this new world? I want to start it by telling you I'm I'm yours. I'm yours. This is this is yours. This rescue vehicle? Well, what's an altar? An altar is going to be the place where I meet with God. That's what it is. That's my that's to be honest, that's the that's the location where I get to hang out and do this again. And where is that going to be? That's going to be at the rescue vehicle. Well, at least what's been made of it which is now the rescue vehicle has become my altar. I take it down and I'm like, Lord, I'm yours. And it ends with God saying, yeah. By the way, for what it's, what it's worth, remember when I said the ark rested? The word for rested is the word noah. It's the word Noah. The ark noah for what it's worth. Um, so... And then at the end of it all, what's strange is the other word for rest, chadat, is the word that's used here when it tells us the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. The word soothing is the word for restful. Or the idea of something that brings you such pleasure, it soothes you. Ruthie comes to me today and says, you know, every time you lead worship, Dad, I just start to yawn. And I'm like, wow, honey, that's really, that's precious. Thank you, sweetheart. And she goes, no, no, Dad, you, I listen to your music when I go to sleep at night. And it just brings me comfort. I mean, she's, I'm interpreting it that way. At least that's all I'm telling myself. But, you know, but, but I mean, there's a part of me that goes, oh, I, I, I get it. And, I, and, and what's funny is that the Lord specifically had her tell me that today, right before I got to tell you that this ends with God going, ah, yeah. At what? He gave me a new world. He wiped out the old man. He took all of that judgment and he flooded it away. 
Like Noah, who, by the way, by, like, like Moses who's going to watch all of Pharaoh's army flood away. Noah gets to watch it with all of his old world floods away. Just like Moses, all your old world floods away. John the Baptist looks and goes, watch your old world flood away. Let's get in the water. He goes, yeah. Because somewhere in the end of it all, you said, I'm yours. And God says, that's all I've ever really wanted. Was you. All the other stuff works out. But God, what about how do I treat my neighbor? And how do I blah, blah, blah. God's like, look, if I'm absolutely, if you're absolutely mine, you're not going to have to worry about any of that. That's really going to, you'll open up the scripture. And as Romans says, that the Gentiles find themselves doing stuff that's written in the, written in the law. And they're like, I didn't know I was doing that. It's like, because it's written in their hearts. So it ends with God going, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do this again. I don't need to. Once is enough for this whole flood thing. That's it. That's all I need. Once is all you need. And there's going to be a fire at the end of this whole thing. You'll get hints of that on the way because I'm going to burn away this stuff that still looks like the old you. But the bottom line is you only need this once. Because from this point on, it's now about let's start walking in the new world. The new you. That's why I didn't kill you the moment you said yes to me, because this isn't just get out of hell. It's let's, let's start walking the new world. That's what I have for you. And the crazy thing is, that new world means everything. Every, listen, hear me. Everything gets redefined. Everything. What your view of success is, what your identity is, what's important, what's not important, your value system, everything is different now. And I tell you, if it wasn't, I would never be married, I'd never be a dad, and I'd never be a pastor. But I praise God for the new ground He has me walking on. And the cool thing is, as we hang out together, you're going to watch me walk in new ground too, because every day I get to set my foot on new ground. And like, wow, guess what I walked in today? I walked in another vat of God's love. Now as we go to prayer, I want to ask you something. Has your Christianity all been all about the raven and the old flesh? And just wanting to see that gone? Or is there really a new world on the outside of your ark that God says, come on, no, really, seriously, I'm giving you this. Are you willing to walk with me in it? Because the new world is ridiculously different than the world you knew before. And again, if you've never accepted that gift of Jesus Christ, you've never even gotten in the ark in the first place, how in the world are you going to see a new world without getting in the ark the cross of your salvation? But I invite you to that today. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you so much for what you've done in this chapter. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that even Noah, obedient and righteous, walked with you, we read, was seen as complete and perfect in his generation, Lord, among a wicked and perverse and violent generation, and yet still wouldn't even take the new ground until you told him. And I recognize that I'm much like that. Even as fervent and furtive as I can be, I also recognize that that sometimes I'm not even willing to step. I, I, it, sometimes it's just, I, maybe it's a lack of faith that I wouldn't even step in ground sometimes as the Lord, you just tell me, no, really, I'm giving that to you. And I, I have to hear that sometimes. And God, I, I just pray for this moment here as we take a moment in silence that you would speak to every one of us about areas that we're freaked out about, we're nervous about, we're fearful, we're anxious or whatever. And Lord, that we could hear you say, look, I'm, I'm giving you this. Walk with me in it. Walk with me in it. So Lord, speak to us individually right now, would you please in that? Let's just take a moment, just be silent before the Lord, and let the Lord speak to you now and say, Hey Glenn, hey Suzanne, hey Elena, I have this for you.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you tell us that we're your workmanship, your poema, your masterpiece. And I pray right now, God, for every one of us that we would by faith walk, walk and walk some more. Lord, in that, that today we would step on that new ground, we'd see the waters drop. We'd see the mountaintops. We'd recognize that the old flesh is dead, but that's not part of the new world. The new world's about new life. Thank you that though my old life died at the cross, my new life began. And that being in you, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I was buried with you, Jesus, in baptism and raised in the newness of life. I'm no longer to live the man I used to be because that's not who I am anymore. I pray, God, today that I would walk in you as you desire. Thank you for this gorgeous book and how you set this in motion. And we're only seven, eight chapters now into Genesis. And you've already set this up for me to recognize that the whole book's going to show me this. How you continue to drop the waters. And I pray right now if there be any or many in this room who have not accepted the gift of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Maybe they're not sure. They can be sure today. And they have acknowledged that you've done that. They are aware of the fact, but they haven't really said, all right, Lord, I'm going to step into this boat where you are. I'm going to come in where you are and surrender to you and your will. Well, right now, if that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Instead of having you repeat it, I want you to listen to what's being said because I want you to be able to confidently say, I agree. And if you hear these words And today you want to either rededicate your life or you want to accept this gift for the first time. As you hear these words, if you agree, at the end I ask you to say a resolved and confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words. So be it in my life. Let that be my prayer. And here's the prayer. God, I confess to you, I am a fallen individual. I am faulty and sinful and full of rottenness. But I also recognize that that rottenness must be punished if you're to be a righteous judge. But I trust in your grace, your gift, because you so loved me, you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And as he died for my sins, my guilt was punished so that all of my old me could be over with. And then he, as you promised, on the third day rose again to offer me a new life, a new life with new life, not controlled by the same bondages, not overruled and run by the enemy, but a life where I am free to raise my hands and say I am yours, even as Noah did. Thank you, Lord, that deliverance is more than removal, but it's bringing to some place anew. So I say yes to the gift of Jesus Christ and the cross, His resurrection and the new life you promised me, confessing Jesus as my ransom, as my Savior, and as my Lord and Master. I surrender to you and I say, have me, I'm yours. I'm yours. And on this Father's Day, Father in heaven, I ask for you to adopt me as your own, as I belong to you. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.